Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. All right. Mark chapter 16. If you're there, say amen. It's going to be on the screen, and it's going to be in New King James. If you have a Bible app, you could follow along with me. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James, and we're going to get going now. All right. Now, it's going to look like an Easter message, right? I promise it's not, but it doesn't matter. Every day is Easter, right? We, we, we celebrate our resurrected Jesus that he, we're going to celebrate Easter next uh, month. But it's going to seem like a typical Easter message, but I want you to please listen to a specific sentence that I believe the Holy Spirit is highlighting. Are you ready? It says, now when the Sabbath was passed. Look, it's up there on the screen. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Thank God for godly women. They brought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away, watch this, the stone from the door of the tomb for us. They're having this conversation. Now watch this, because the stone was really large. For when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. That's a whole other message right there. And entering into the tomb, these women saw a young man, which is an angel of the Lord, okay? He was clothed in long white robes sitting on the side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, now listen, hone in on this. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he is risen. Come on, say amen. He is risen. Watch. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. Now, now here's where I'm going to land here. The angel of the Lord said to these women a specific instruction that was given by the Father to the angel to say to the disciples. It was a message from the angels to the disciples. Watch this. But go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus, he, is going before you into Galilee. Therefore, you will see him as he said to you. The verse that I want to highlight is when the angel said to the, to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter. Oh, come on, man. I'm going to shout better than you are. Why would the angel of the Lord tell these women to go tell his disciples and Peter if Peter was already a disciple? Why would the angel of the Lord say, hey, I'm going to go out of my way to tell you, women, to tell his disciples that Jesus wants to see him? Oh, and personally find Peter and tell him that Jesus wants to see him too. It's disciples and Peter. One of the, the title of that I, uh, this message is, The Lord Still Wants to See You. The Lord Still Wants to See You. Come on, say this with me. Say, the Lord still wants to see me. Even when I've messed up. Come on, come on, that was weak. Even when I've messed up. Even when I don't feel the love of God. Even when I don't feel like a follower of Jesus. The Lord still wants to see you. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, 
little intro here for those of you. Those of you who know, most of you who brought up in church, you know the story. Peter denied Jesus three times, right? So we know why. But I'm going to give you a little bit more of a context today so that you can understand the affirmation of the Lord, the great affirmation of the Lord. I looked at the word affirmation in the dictionary, and it means to validate. It means to confirm in the, pre- uh, the presence of someone or something. To validate or confirm the presence of someone. Or something. I want you to see the great reach that God reaches just to call your name out when you think you don't deserve God's love. There's nothing, there's nothing that we have done even recently that will exclude us from the reach of Him still knowing your name. And you have to realize this that Peter was one of the top three disciples. Top three. You don't get any more VIP than Peter. All right, Peter was VIP, VIP. He was a top three disciples. There was Peter, James, and John. And then, and, 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 and they would get exclusive rights. There was one time where Jesus went up to the mountain. He was about to get uh, transformed by the glory of God. And could you imagine he said, hey, Peter, James, John, come up here. Hey, you boys, the rest of you boys, Matthew, Bartholomew, Andrew, I'm coming back. Don't worry. I can imagine Peter going, where's my, oh, where's my suit? I'll put my suit on. I know what happens when we go to the mountain. Every man, of, every man of God that went to the mountain, boys, something happened. When Moses went to the mountain, something happened. When Elijah went to the mountain, something happened. Oh, we're going to be tight. God's going to do something up in the mountain. He just invited me, Peter, and John. Get me my, get my suit on. Woo! And Peter went up with Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured by the glory of God. God brighter than the sun. And Peter saw that. Right? Peter was the boldest one of all the disciples. Right? He was the most zealous, in my opinion, for the Lord while he walked on the earth. Jesus was the only, Peter was the only one that, listen, that, that, that when they arrested, he was gangster because he loved the Lord, though. He, not, he wasn't just gangster because he was street. He was gangster because he's so zealous for the Lord. Listen, he was a professional fisherman, not a professional swordsman. But he had a sword. <laughs> and so when they arrested Jesus, all the disciples were like, Ooh. Peter was like, get out. Of. He grabbed a sword, and the dude went to chop off his head and, 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 and caught the ear. Some people say, no, he was aiming for his ear. He wasn't aiming for his ear. He was aiming to chop off the dude's head. <laughs> Watch this now. Watch this. Why? Because Peter was so zealous for the Lord. I'm, I'm giving you a, a background here. He wasn't a weak, he wasn't one of those people that Jesus thought, hmm, does he really love me? I mean, I mean this guy, I don't know. I'm gonna, no, he proved in front of everybody. He goes, hey, if this is you, Jesus, on the water, while there was a category four storm, bid me to come out so I could watch this. I saw something new. I want to see you. Peter's walking on water was not to prove to the others that he was more spiritual. Peter walking on water because he's like, I want to see Jesus. He was in love with Jesus. He loved Jesus. He's like, that's, that's my Jesus, and if that's him, I'm coming out to him. I don't care what the risk is. Why do I say this? Because Peter got to a point in his life where he felt unworthy to be called the disciple anymore, and he felt unworthy to experience God's love anymore. He got to a point in his life where although he was strong when he was with Jesus, there was a weakness that Jesus saw, watch this, that he didn't see himself. And sometimes, are you ready for this? 
some of our biggest weaknesses are camouflaged by our success. Oh, that was a good, that was a good way, that was a good time to, you know, say, you know, because, because we camouflage our weaknesses by what we do good, right? And we never address those weaknesses because it's camouflaged by our success and our mountaintop experience and our gifting, and our gifting. And so there's these hidden weaknesses that Jesus sees, and he's not doing it to condemn us, he's doing it to save us. Because let me tell you something, there, there is a story here that shows the power of, of, of a person that walked with God closely and then he went away from the Lord, watch this now, at the most highest time in the Lord. I'm going to show that with to you in just a second. That, that, that Peter was at a mountaintop experience when Jesus had a private conversation with Peter warning him about an internal weakness that he didn't see himself. Is it possible that you could run around with your gifting and with your anointing and with your money and with your success and not ever deal with that silent weakness that's eating up inside of you? And if we're not careful, we will allow our success to camouflage our weakness. Look, listen to this. Whatever that weakness is, and if we camouflage it long enough, it will come out one way or the other. There's no behavior that the soul doesn't know already about. No outward behavior. But I want to say, I want to encourage you. Say, I want to encourage you. Look what Jesus, here's the first slide. No matter what, where, where you may, this is the first slide, look up on the screen. No matter where you may currently be in your relationship to God, the Lord knew exactly what he was getting when he saved you. And yet he never changed his mind about you. Do you think it's a shock when some of us backslide and get weak? Do you think God's like, what, what? I don't know what's going on with him. He knew exactly your tendency. He knew exactly your weakness. He knew exactly what you're about to do if you don't deal with that thing. He knows that some of you are going to deny him. Some of you are going to be unfaithful to him. He knows that the weaknesses of your flesh are going to overtake you. And he knows that when he saved you. And he knows that when he called you. Yet he doesn't change his mind about you. Yet we change our mind about people all the time. Come on. We change our mind about church all the time. We change our mind about people all the time. We change our mind about finances all the time. When it doesn't go our way, when it doesn't seem like things are happening, we change our mind. Tell his disciples and Peter. Could you imagine you being in that position where Peter is out there going back fishing? He's felt like he's lost it all. And there's an angel, and the women are running. <sighs> hey, disciples, I want to tell you something. I just saw Jesus. Get out of here, girl. I just saw Jesus. He's resurrected. I didn't really see him, but the angel told me he's not there. He's not in the tomb. What are you talking about? He said to you, the disciples, to meet him in Galilee. Watch this, because he wants to see you. Oh, by the way, do you guys know where Peter's at? Where's Peter at? Oh, Peter. I could imagine that, right? Some of the disciples. Oh, him. Yeah, he was part of our crew. He denied Jesus. We were all there. No, they weren't. <laughs> they all fled too, right? I could imagine it's not in the Bible. He's gone out there fishing. He's somewhere around there. He's not part of us anymore. See, I'm talking about church folks here. 
Church folks could be some of the meanest folks. <laughs> uh, he's not part of us anymore. He backslid. He backslid. He done backslide. I haven't seen him around the church anymore. And people don't come around the church anymore. We stop calling them. We stop, you know, praying for them. And, he, and he's, he's just, he just gave into it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew that he had that tendency. So the women were looking for him. Could you imagine when Peter's like, and all of a sudden these women come up and say, Peter, 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 Peter. Yeah. Hey, the other day I went to the tomb where Jesus, oh, no, don't, don't talk to me about that. Don't talk to me about that. And listen, um, the women said that Jesus wants to specifically see you in Galilee. He called you out by name. Could you imagine when you're in your weakness and you're in your struggle and you don't say anything to anybody about it, but you know about it, the closest people know about it, and there's some secret sins and secret weaknesses that you've done that made you feel that you don't deserve God's love, and now all of a sudden, could you imagine an angel of the Lord saying, go tell my disciples and Tito, go tell my disciples and Enrique, Go tell my disciples and Elisa. Go tell my disciples and Frank. Go tell my disciples and George that Jesus wants to see you. Jesus still wants to see you. Glory to God. To get a, to get a better understanding of this, we have to backtrack just a little bit. What I call the height of Peter's walk with God. Now, what I'm going to tell you today is going to shock you. Because there was a private conversation that Jesus had with Peter at the height of Peter's walk with God. Notice this. I want to I say this. I want to pause for a second. Some people think that when hurt happens in our life or we open up the sin and we're at the lowest of our lives that we turn our back from the Lord. Well, of course. When, we're most, when most of us are in the lowest part of our life, we either run to God or run from God. And sadly, some, the, the, the condemnation consumes us so bad that we run away from God. But what if you're at the highest with, with the Lord? What if you're experiencing favor and success and fruitfulness? And what if you're experiencing something that's really, uh, something that you prayed for for a long time and it's finally here? The temptation is stop doing all the things that made you get to that point and you open up yourself to a settled door of compromise, right? And Jesus says something to Peter. I want you to see this. At the height of Peter's walk with God. Look at this. In Luke chapter 22, verse 32 through 34 in the NLT. Look at this. Are you getting something? Look at, look at what it says. Simon, now listen, look at what Peter said. I mean, sorry, what Jesus said. He called him Peter first, Right? And now Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon. Now listen to this. He's called him back, he called him back by his original name because Simon means wavering. Peter means rock. Simon means you're wavering again. I'm going to, Simon, Simon. Listen, Satan has asked. Now, now, I don't know if you guys saw this because some of you only read one version. I want to uh, um, encourage you to read several versions of the Bible. Because in one version it says, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And every other version that I read, it says all of you. Satan, watch this. Go back, go back. Satan has desired, go back to verse 32, please, guys. 
31, there he goes. And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, right? Now this, I'm, I'm in the NLT, guys. I'm in the NLT. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, verse 32. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, I love this, that your faith should not fail. Oh, come on, somebody. He said, he said he's, Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Now, I'm going to break down what sifting is because us modern-day people have no clue what Jesus was talking about when he told Peter about sifting because Peter understood farming. And he understood the way that sifting does. I'm going to break that down to let you know what sifting actually is. It's a very slow beat, beating process, subtle process of shaking, progressive shakings that will cause you to be, the goal of sifting is to separate, separate the, the wheat and the, and the chaff, which is non-edible. And so he said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have earnestly prayed for you. Oh, my God. That, watch this, your faith will not fail. I love that he didn't say that you will not fail because we're all going to fail. He's like, you're going to fail. He goes, what I'm praying for is not that you will not fail. What I'm praying for is not that you're not going to make mistakes. I'm praying that when you fail and when you make mistakes and when you fall and when you slip up and when you don't feel like a man of God and when you don't feel like a woman of God and when you don't feel like the love of God and when you don't feel like coming to church, when you feel those ways, I'm going to pray that your faith in me does not fail. The goal of sifting is separation. And in the spiritual sense, is the goal is a slow, beat-down, settle process while everything is doing good until you come to a place where your weaknesses are no longer disguised. And so what Jesus is saying is he warned that Satan desired to sift them, and he had already walked on water. Listen to this. When Jesus had this conversation with Peter, he had already walked on water. He was on a mountaintop experience. He already went to the mountain. He already, he, he, listen, he already experienced miracles after miracles after miracles. He already seen Lazarus get up from the dead. And Jesus pulls him aside in the most, um, watch this, um, almost at the peak of his walk with the Lord and says, come here. I'm paraphrasing. There's something in you that you are hiding by your success. And you're not seeing it right now because you're in a mountaintop experience. But there's something in you that if you don't deal with it, watch this, watch this. I'm going to keep reading in that scripture. If you don't deal with it, you're going to deny me three times that you know me. Now watch this. I'm going to continue reading. I'm going to continue reading. Put that scripture back up, right? Look at verse 32 and 33. So when you have repented... There you go. But he pleaded with you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, turn to me again, Jesus is saying, and strengthen your brethren. Now watch this. Look at, look at good old gangster Peter, right? He's like, I don't got any problem. What are you talking about, Lord? Watch this. Peter said, look, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Right? Look, look at verse 34. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows, watch this. Here, zoom in on me. Tomorrow. Not, not six weeks from now, not six months from now, Peter, not even a year from now, Peter. I'm talking about at your mountaintop experience right now. Tomorrow, you're not even going to 
You're not even going to say that you know me. But you're not going to deny me one time, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. And I don't say this to condemn you, Peter. See, if you, if you, get, the wrong, if you get the wrong message, you think I'm condemning you. No, no, no. Peter, Peter hi, Jesus highlighted something. Peter just said, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to make you deal with it. Listen, that little tendency that you don't tell about can extend into a, an affair, an emotional affair. It could extend to lying on your taxes. It could extend, and nobody knows about these little weaknesses that we have. And here's the thing. It's God's mercy, not his condemnation, that is saying you need to deal with it because if not, this will have a tendency to destroy you, Peter. Now, this is why I think it hit Peter even harder because Jesus prophesied he was going to do something, and he said no, and it happened the very next day. Look at what it says. It says, Lord, he said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison for you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Now, I'm not going to go to the rest of the scripture because most of you know it, right? Jesus came. He got arrested. And now, now watch this. The, the, the internal thing, he was not on a mountaintop anymore. Now, he had to deal with the real Peter that was ignoring some of these things, watch this. This is not a message to highlight weakness. It's a message about how God sees you in your weakness. How God sees you in your weakness, okay? Now watch this. And so Peter was uh, denied the Lord, as you, as you know, and, and he, he went up and he, and he was really uh, heart, hardened. He was saddened and uh, he denied the Lord. He, he wept bitterly, right? But when we experience mountaintop experiences in our lives, we have the ten- tendency to stop doing and seeking God like we are. All this church growth that we're experiencing, we could just lay back and say, hey, look at all the things that God is doing and not continue to be fervent. Let me tell you something. All of us have something in our lives that if we don't deal with it, it could destroy us. Jesus said to Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Now watch this, watch this. I believe on the plane ride to Atlanta, I just kept two weeks ago, I kept hearing this phrase over and over, over again, over and over and over again. And it was Uzziah. I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles real quick. Uh, just a, a little addition. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 3 through 5. Oh, I'm preaching better. You're saying amen this morning. Five amen. It's just okay. When we're growing and we're a mountaintop experience and we have momentum, we ign- it's the enemy's way to ignore us. Now, I'm going to explain sifting in, se- in just a second. But look at this. I want you to see that the dangers of not dealing with the things that are eating us up privately because God still wants to call your name. Now watch this. Uzziah was 16 years old. Sorry, it's 26 verse 3. It's verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old. Think about this. When he became king, glory God. For, what would happen in America if a 16-year-old would be, would be president? He said, I want all the Nintendo Switch and Xbox, and I want all the pizzas in my palace right now. And I want free access. All my boys would come up there. Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, pizza, cake, whatever, right? Uzziah was 16 years old. Watch this. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Jehoshaliah of Jerusalem. <laughs> Watch this. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Okay, this is interesting. I, I want to pause and say this. I want to pause and say this. Everybody say he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Say that with me because you, you're going to understand why. Say Uzziah did what was right 
in the sight of the Lord. Okay, now watch this. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought the Lord. On the plane ride, I heard in my spirit that phrase. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought the Lord. Listen, because pain could get you to a place where you stop seeking the Lord. Disappointment will get you to a place where you stop seeking the Lord. I know, I know, I could write a book on that. I could write a book on stopping seeking the Lord for a season. All the things that it opened up in my life because I stopped seeking the Lord. And the Bible says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Don't think in one moment that all this is because of me. Don't think for one moment because, because all the growth that we're happening, oh, it's because Pastor George. The moment I let disappointment, pain, frustration, anger consume my heart and stop seeking God will be the moment I will not prosper. Listen, listen, as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And, not, and he made all these devices in Jerusalem, invented skillful men to be on towers. He did all these things. I'm skipping a lot because all these things that Uzziah did, right? Now look, look at verse uh, 15 and 16. It goes on a long list of what all Uzziah did. Watch this, guys, now. Watch. I'm talking to you now. And Uzziah made all these devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men to be on the towers or the corners, to shoot arrows, he, like artillery he made, right, and large stones. Watch this. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Watch this. But when he was strong, see, in other words, I got this. Look at all this. Look at, what, look at what God has given me. He's given me a ministry. He's given me a business. He's given me, you know, there's no problems. You know, there's all these good things. Watch this. Now watch. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord by entering into the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, I'm not going to go into all that, but basically in the Old Testament, it was priests and Levites who were supposed to do the, the, the offerings in the temple and the burning for the sacrifices, right? But Uzziah was king over the land. He got so puffed up, he stopped being humble, and he stopped doing the things that he used to do, and all of a sudden he got lifted up when he was strong, and he stopped doing the things that got him there. He stopped praying. He stopped, let's modernize it. He stopped going to church. He stopped reading his Bible. He stopped, he started neglecting his God. He started neglecting his family. He started neglecting his ministry. And all of a sudden, listen, anything that you neglect will one day snap back at you. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor and, and I had some gangster kids, glory to God. I mean, literally street kids. I'm like, Lord, what am, why, why? Why are you giving me these, these people? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm like, ooh. And I was a youth pastor years ago, right? And I remember uh, one time I forgot. I got so busy. The youth ministry was growing. Uh, it was called Remnant back in those days. And uh, you were part of it. You guys were part of it. There's a lot of you part of it. And, and we were growing, and, and we had these, connect, these uh, connect groups, but we called them cell groups, right? And I was over these cell groups, and, then, uh, and I forgot to, there was a system that I had back then that I would, they would give me a report every week, and I would see what, what happened in the connect groups, and we were booming, right? I got so busy in growth, because we were exploding in the youth ministry, 
that I forgot to check these, these, these little cell group, you know, reports. And they would give me reports. I topped this and I did this right that. And like three months passed by. And this one, I won't say the name. He's not here, but like in case they're watching. Um, I, I finally was like, what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And it said zero people in his cell group. I'm like, zero people? Oh, we, got, we got to have a talk. This is not good, you know. Like zero people for th- three months? No, we, we need to cut off his cell group, his connect group. We need to talk. So I said, hey, so-and-so, we need to talk, man. Uh, what's going on here? I see that you have zero, zero people, right? And he, again, I had gangster people. I'm like, Lord, thank you, Lord, for grace, right? And he goes, he goes I had five people, but I knew you were so busy that you weren't going to inspect it. And I was waiting I put zero to see if you would even know. And I go, that's not for you to do. <laughs> you don't do that. I do that. He's like, I knew you were so busy. So, uh, and so even though I wanted to rebuke him, right, the Lord convicted me. He goes, whatever you don't inspect, people won't respect. Whatever you don't inspect, people won't respect. If they know you've clocked out, got quiet up in this Catholic church here. If they know you clocked out and they know you're not invested, they won't respect it. So he said, I knew you were too busy. So I purposely wrote zero to see if you would know. And it took me three months to realize that I didn't even check and I didn't even inspect it. Where's your relationship with God? Have you inspected your relationship with God? Have you inspected your relationship with your kids? Mm-hmm. Have you inspected your relationship with your spouse? Have you inspected your relationship with your church? Are you just coming because uh, you feel convicted? You feel you come in because you want to serve? Are you coming because it's a duty? Or are you coming because you love God? Come on, say amen. And there's certain weaknesses that are camouflaged in our success. Can I hear an Amen. And so it does two things. Number one, we tend to slow down in our pursuit of God. And number two, as a result of the hidden weakness that we are overlooking, our temptation in the season of success and excitement. And that's what I wrote down. So what, I'm, what I just described to you is slow, settle, beat down, right, <laughs> to get us to a point. Have you guys ever said, how did I get here? How did I get to this level of low conviction? I used to be convicted about this. How did I get to that? How, how did I get to a place where I could do something, watch something, uh, slip into something, and I, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even bother me anymore? How can I, have you ever been there? I, you know what? I've been there. I know you guys are all holy and all that. Nothing ever happened to you. You've never gone through anything. But I've been there where I used to be convicted about something, and eh, it doesn't convict me anymore. Why? Because I was being sifted and I didn't even know it. Simon, Satan had desire to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. What is sifting? I'm glad you asked. Sifting in the Old Testament was a very slow, listen, slow. Everybody say slow. Because if it was fast, you would catch it. Slow process of shaking, beating, and separating until you realize how did I get separated? How, do, how am I yielding to this? How am, I, how am I okay with this? I never used to be okay with this. Why am I okay with it now? Because it was a sifting process that got you there. And sometimes when people, they skip church, 
that's where the sifting starts. They, they skip the fellowship. They don't have fellowship anymore with believers. So all of a sudden, they start opening these doors. And eh, it's okay. You know, you got one foot with the world, one foot with God. God understands. You know what's funny? I always say this when I was in the youth group. But like married people or, or people in relationship, you don't stand that in your relationship. Why do you think God would stand that in his relationship? We're like, hey, listen, one part with, with, with you, honey, and the other part with another person. Are you okay with that? Which one of you guys would say, of course, honey, sure, go with that person and be with me at the same time. As long as you're with me half of the time, that's fine. No, it's the same with God. The Lord is like, look, I want all of you or none of you. Choose, decide. You say, well, that's very strong. That's strong, Pastor George. That's strong, Pastor George. He says, if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. He said, I'd rather you be cold or hot than to be lukewarm. That wasn't even my nose. That's for free for you. God wants you to be hot pursuit for him. Not perfect, hot. Right? Now watch the sifting. The sifting process. Put that, that slide up. The process of sifting reveals the subtle tactics of the enemy to get us to live a life of gradual compromise and sin. Now I want you to look at me really, really uh, uh, strong here. Not raising your hands, but can you admit that there's a season in your life where you compromise a little bit more and you realize, how did I get there? It's a slow stealth process that you don't even realize most of the time until you're at the end. Jesus said, Peter, you're at a mountaintop. You're walking on water. Come over here. I see something in you. If you don't fix, it's going to cause you to, to deny me. Deny me. Not even, not even just have a little slip up. You're going to deny that, I even, that you even served me because of this thing that you're not dealing with. That's why, oh, I'm going to go there. That's why I made a huge mistake years ago that I don't get leaders based on excitement but, but, but based on character. I used to pick leaders that were excited, and they would jump up and down, and they would go, oh, hallelujah, and they would say, oh, God, I want to do, I want to evangelize the world, and then all the, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I want that person on my team. Woo, look at that person. They're speaking in tongues, and they're lifting up their hands, and they're, and they're quoting scripture. You can quote scripture better than me and still not live right. You can quote scripture better than the greatest Bible scholar and not deal with things. A lot of people hide behind their giftings. And I realize I don't want people that are just excited and don't have any character because then they'll destroy everything that I'm trying to do for God. So what's the process? Are you ready? The process of sifting is this. They first do the threshing. How many farmers here? How many know anything about what I'm talking about? <laughs> One person, praise God, too. <laughs> My brother. Three, okay. So if you were. <laughs> what is wrong with us, Lord? We don't even know. So, look, farmers, if you know anything about farming, I'm talking about old school farming without these machines. This is what they do to sift, okay? All right. They would take first the grain of wheat and they would cut it. Now, imagine if you're the wheat and you had a voice, right? Sift you as wheat. He was saying, Peter, you're, you're the wheat. Satan's going to sift you like he does wheat, like we do wheat. So they would take, and it was called threshing, right? Everybody say threshing. So they would cut it. They would cut the wheat. They would put it in a bundle, right? Now, the grains of the wheat, you know, the bread that you eat and stuff, it comes from somewhere, right? <laughs> and there's these grains of wheat that were really tightly stuck with the, with the stock of the, of the wheat, right? 
and it was really tied together. Now, this is prophetic, right? The chaff was the non-edible bad things that is not good for you. The wheat grain is the good thing. Spiritually speaking, the wheat grain is righteous living, righteousness. Listen, the, the, the chaff that is really connected to the wheat, right, it had to be separated, is symbolic of worldly living and all these things that we do, all right? So they would cut it. Everybody say cut. So that's the first step. It, would, it, would be, it was like, okay, I'm going to slowly cut you off, cut you. But you still feel strong. You know, you still have this appearance that you're good. But the, the, the chaff now is, and the wheat goes through a process. They start beating it down. But the chaff is so stubborn. The chaff is so stubborn that it's like, no, I ain't letting go of that wheat. So you know what the second thing is? You know the second thing that the farmer do? They would actually sift it. You know what they would do to sift it? They would take all the wheat and put it in this, like, box, in this crate-like box with little holes in it. And they would shake it violently. Come on. They would shake it violently. You know why they would shake it? Because they were trying to loose the shaft from the wheat. And they would shake it and shake it and shake it, and they would fall. And they would shake it and shake it and shake it and it would fall. And I read a farmer said something so powerful. He said this. He said, I can hear the wheat falling into the bin. I'm quoting a farmer, right, that I saw on, on YouTube with the old style of sifting. He says, when I don't hear it anymore, that means it's all sifted out. I'm going to say that again. I can hear the wheat falling through the holes into the bin, and then the, the other start, the parts that are unedible still stay on the top. And only the things that, that are trying to be loose are going through the holes. He said, when the wheat falls into the bin, when I don't hear it anymore, that means it's all sifted out. What does that mean? Satan desired to sift you as wheat. Put that, script, put that, that slide up. Satan is out to shake you severely and silence you completely. The farmer says, when I don't hear it anymore. Oh, come on, PK. Come on. Somebody. You need to put your hand out when I do that. Okay. He's like, I hit your leg if you want to. Listen, listen, listen. Satan is out to shake you severely and silence you completely. Do you know that one of the number one signs of, of hurt and pain is silence? You stop praising God. You stop being active. You clock out. Silence. When sifting happens, the enemy's goal is to separate you and silence you. You don't praise God like you used to. You praise God with your head down, but you still show up. You feel you're not worthy. He's silencing you through the voice of conviction. He silences you through the voice of shame. He's silencing you through the voice of fear and insecurity. Look at this slide. Satan desires, to, Satan desires to severely shake every follower of Jesus. Look at what it says here. In hopes that he may separate the follower of Jesus away from Jesus. There's a goal in the sifting. But here's the thing. It doesn't happen fast. Because if it happened fast, Satan, know, Satan knows that you would catch it. It's really slow. It's that cutting 
I'm still good. I go to church. You know, I'm still good. Is that cutting away, that cutting away of that relationship? You stop talking to God, that cutting away. Come on, somebody. That cutting away from the Bible. It's only two days that I missed this week. It's okay. God is not religious. I could read the word whenever I want. Now two days becomes five days that you don't read the Bible. Now five days become a week that you don't believe the Bible. And all of a sudden it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. All of a sudden now your friendships, your relationships, your, 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 your faith is so on the other side. And you look, how did I get here? Is this a slow process? Do you know what the last process was? Sift it out, right? But it's still so stubborn that there was still some wheat that would in the chaff that would get what is called winnowing, winnow. So they would take, the farmer would take the last bit of grain and grass and hay that was stuck to it. And they would throw it up, watch this, and the wind would separate the loose shaft into the ground and would drop the edible wheat grain into a bin so that it could finally be edible. What does the wind symbolize for? The trials and tribulation of life. The winds of life. The winds of pressure are, are sent to us to separate us from our walk with God. The wind. What, what does Paul say? From every wind of doctrine. He's, the enemy is try, trying to, to, to steal it from every, every wind of doctrine, right? And so the winnowing is the completion of the sifting. And the goal of the sifting is a subtle, progressive shaking. So watch this. Watch this. That seeks, I wrote this down, that seeks to dull our pursuit with Jesus, cripple our faith, and eventually separate us from God. I've been in a place in my life where through pain and agonizing nerve pain and um, not getting the things that I thought that I was going to get, that I slipped into this. I, slipped, I, I would show up in church, preach to you guys, and it would just be a subtle, subtle drifting. I didn't backslide. I didn't, I didn't go into sin or anything like that. But I was not pursuing God like I used to. I was getting more cranky. I was getting more frustrated. I was getting more angry. And I realized that as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. I don't know who this is for, but I believe God is saying, go tell my disciples and you that I still want to see you. I don't know where you're at. You may have kind of felt like you're not even worthy because you said, how in the world did I allow myself to slip this far? Oh, Jesus, help me. But the, but the trap of the enemy, look at this, I'm getting somewhere. This is good stuff. Are you, get, are you getting touched by the Lord? L- listen, by nature, when we see our weaknesses, we run away from God. Listen, here's a key. Please hone in on me in the next 10 minutes. The, the, the trap of the enemy is when we relate to God based on our week-to-week success with God. I want to tell you, as good as that sounds, that is a trap of the enemy. The trap of the enemy is not to rate your success in God by how many weeks you've gone without sinning. The, the, the success rate that you and I have with God is not to measure your walk with God by how many weeks you've gone without a bad thought. Because if that's the case, all of us would be kicked out of the building, I mean of the kingdom. Okay? What we need to judge our success is this. Is it going to be a point up there? We need to relate to the Lord based on what he did for us and based on what his nature is like. Not on our ratio of five-week success without doing anything bad. Some of you, you have that system. You're like, you know, I've gone four weeks without cursing. 
I'm glad, I'm glad it's been four weeks, right? And then you slip up. You say, you little beep, 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 beep. And you're like this. And you're like, man, I am so, I am the filth of the earth. I thought God was doing something in my life. I thought God was doing something. He is doing something in your life. But you cannot, you cannot sustain your relationship with God based on a measuring system of good works. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm going to shout now. That's why I believe the nature of God is, 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 is needed. Why? Because I believe, now hear me out, that the prodigal son, even though he left, all right? You could, you could, you could take the, that slide out. Even though the prodigal son left, and he did what he needed to do, and he made some bad decisions. Hear me now, hear me now. Everybody knows the prodigal son, but hear me for a second. I believe that the prodigal son spent many years knowing the temperament and the nature of his dad of his father before he went out because he stayed there for a long time and he observed how his dad talked and he observed how his dad spoke and he observed how his dad uh, uh, reacted to things. And when he said, I want my things, dad, I want you to give me my inheritance. You know how a slap in the face that was in the Jewish culture? What he's saying is the inheritance you're supposed to give me is supposed to be given to me when you die. Dad, I want, you're dead to me. Ooh, my God. My God. Dad, I don't care about you. I don't care about the money that I'm going to get when you die. So give me your, my inheritance now. And the father with tears in his eyes said, you want it now? That means I'm dead to you. I want it right now. The father gave him the inheritance. Let him do. Watch this. This is the toughest thing for a parent to do. Let him do what he needed to do to get it out of his system. Sometimes you got to let that person go and get it out of their system because you're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You're not God. It's through that journey that God is going to encounter them. And he said, okay, here's your money. Go. And he must have been heartbroken. Watch this. Watch this. This is, this is key. And all of a sudden the Bible says that the prodigal son was eating with the pigs. And the Bible says that he liked it. He's like, I love this thing. What is wrong with me? How did I get to this spot? I actually like this stuff. And I was eating with my kings and my dad. Now watch this, watch this. I'm going to go back to my dad. Listen, listen. If he didn't know the temperament of a dad, he would never, ever even think that long hike back to the father would have been a very, very difficult one. If he knew his dad was waiting with a whip in his hand. He knew the temperament of his father. He goes, I know that I've made mistakes in the past. But listen, if I just become like a little servant, I'll, I'll eat at least better than this. But I'm going to go back to my father's house. Because religion says, I've messed up. Dad's going to kill you. Relationships said, I messed up. I need to run to dad. I need I need. <laughs> Religion, religion says, you messed up. You better not tell dad. He's going to whip you when he gets home. Relationship says, I messed up. I need to run to daddy. I need to run to, I need to, I need his forgiveness. I need his love. I know that I messed up and I know that I'm not pleasing to him, but he's an everlasting father. He is merciful. He loves me. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. And Peter. And Eliel. Go tell his disciples and 
Jasmine, go tell his disciples and Hansel. Go his, tell his disciples and Julie. Go his, tell his disciples and Darren that Jesus wants to see you. That Jesus wants to see you. He knew what he was getting. He still wants to see you. He knew you were messed up, and he still wants to see you. He knew you would fall away from the Lord. He still wants to see you. In order to understand the affirmation of the Father, we must learn the mercy of the Father. Do you know that the Lord is not just merciful? I'm going to shock you. He actually delights and loves mercy. It gives him pleasure. That doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. It means that because what he did on the cross, he delights in being merciful. Glory to God. The devil is the one whispering in your ear and saying, how can God love you? How can you come back to church? How can you come back and do that? How can you even be a disciple? You're not even a leader anymore. How can you, you said you went to a journey weekend and you went to an internal and you got inner healing and you got up and testified at church and now five months later you're back into the same hole you came out of. You're not even worthy to come to church. You're a hypocrite. That's the devil sifting you. But the father, watch, you know the end of the story of the prodigal son? What happened when the prodigal son was like this? The father was like, boys, there he is. Come, 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 come. He's way out there. He has his head low. Bring the best robe. Kill the best calf. Come on. Get the best ring on. I, my father, my, me, I know he messed up. Oh, man, I'm preaching to myself. I know he messed up, but that doesn't disqualify him from going back home. That doesn't disqualify him from going back to church. Some of you stop going to church because you're so guilty. That's the thing that you need to come to. If you're guilty, I have an announcement. Go to church. I can't go to church. I can't go to church. I just sinned. That's like saying I can't go to the shower. I'm dirty. You're supposed to go to the shower. It's supposed to clean. You're supposed to be dirty. You're supposed to go in there dirty. Come on, somebody. No one's perfect. You got to stop saying that you, your sin is so much greater than his blood that it can't save you and it can't heal you and it can't restore you. Go to the shower. Take a shower in the name of Jesus. <laughs> look at Micah. Look at Micah. Look at Micah. Go tell his disciples and Peter. He's an and Peter type of God. Watch this. Look at Micah. Look at Micah. Ooh, this is good. Are you getting something? I feel the Holy Spirit here. If you don't get this, you will be a slave to condemnation. You, um, trust me, if you don't get this, you will be a slave to condemnation and shame. And what does condemnation and shame do to us? It makes us retreat. Watch what Micah says. Listen, everybody say he delights in mercy. He just doesn't have mercy. You can say it. He doesn't have mercy. He loves mercy. Who is a God like you? This is Old Testament. This is before Jesus. Pardoning iniquity? 
See, see, I'm, let me pause this. Let's keep that scripture up there. I feel this from the Holy Spirit. Some of us have a wrong image of God. We see him like I used to see my dad. How many have some Latino dads up in this house? How many have some, like, island dads up in this house? <laughs> well, I'm not saying white dads can't do it either. Okay, guys, come on. Right. What, I'm saying, what I'm saying is that belt or that chancleta, right, especially from your dad, and forget it. When that curl lip goes up, huh, huh? I said to come. I said to come in at twelve, and uh, you come in at two, huh? When that curl lip goes up, you're like, "Oh, puppy, puppy, sorry." Listen, watch this. If you feel that every time you mess up, God has a chancleta and a whip. That's what I used to think. He's like, "There you go again." I knew. I knew you. I knew you would sin. See, you said that you weren't going to do it anymore, George, and you did it again. Sorry. I'm sorry. He's having flashbacks. He's like, oh, go. <laughs> My brother's twitching. He's like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I've never seen Darren that loud. Glory to God. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. Pardoning the iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. Watch this. He does not retain his anger forever. Watch this, guys. This is beautiful. Look at the next verse. Because... He delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. Woo. This is why the Lord said, I'm almost done, but you need to catch this. Tell the women, I want to see my disciples and Peter. Because at that point, Peter was the lowest of the lowest. He did not want to go to church anymore. He didn't want to be around the people of God anymore. Let me pause and say this. A lot of times people backslide, but they really still do love God. But the reason they don't come back is that they feel so ashamed. So they're like, deep down inside, I love you, but I can't show my face in church. I can't show my face in front of people. I've, I've, I've opened up my life to all these things. That's the sifting, and that's a lie. Now watch this. I'm almost closing, but I'm going to show you a video that I've never showed before that really I was in tears. How many know Deion Sanders, who Deion Sanders is? How many know who Deion Sanders is? He's a Hall of Fame uh, cornerback, right? Don't care if you liked him or not, right? But he several years ago got radically encountered by the Lord. And I'm going to show you something because in the sifting process, watch this now. I'm going I'm 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 to hone in. Can we still say God is great? God is good. God is faithful when we're going through the sifting process, when we're being shaken, right? So I've identified, I didn't read it in a book, just in my own life, some of the main tools, look at that last, some of the last slide, that the devil uses to spiritually, emotionally, and physically cripple our faith. I'm going to say it again. Some of the main tools that the devil uses to spiritually, emotionally, and physically cripple our faith, all right, some of the tools, to sift you. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Number one, not in any order, trials and tribulations that affect you personally. Come on, I know that some of you are looking at me like, "Uh uh-oh, he's reading my mail. No, God is reading your mail. You could be on fire for God, 
But when repeated trials and tribulations come to your finances, you're trying to apply for a job, and you're tithing, and you're doing all the right things, and there's no breakthrough in your life. And all these trials are coming, and storms are coming in your life, and it feels like a hailstorm. And yet you're trying to do the right thing. I don't know about you. When you're trying to do, there's one thing if you're not trying to do the right thing, then you say, well, I deserve all this. But when you're doing the right thing, when you're doing the right thing and trials and tribulation happen, listen, these are one of the main tools that the enemy used to cripple your faith. Remember, what's the goal of sifting? Let's see if you learned the lesson. What's the main goal of sifting? To separate you from Jesus. But how does he do it? Trials, tribulations. That's how he does it. He sifts you as we. You know what happens when you get sifted spiritually and emotionally? You begin to get bitter and angry at everybody. I know when a person that used to serve the Lord and they've been sifted by the enemy because they're no longer tender and loving anymore. They're bitter and cranky and aggressive and judgmental. They used to be tender and forgiving. They've been sifted, but they didn't know how to come back from the sifting. But I got news for you. God is still calling your name. I don't care where you're at in the sifting process. You may be in the threshing process. You may be in the sifting process or in the winnowing process. God still says it's not too late. He still wants to see you. Watch this. Look at the second one. Worship team, I want you to get ready. Um, there's going to be a seven-minute video that I want to share. And it's, 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 it's seven minutes, but I feel that it goes with my message. And then we're going to pray. All right? It's about Deion Sanders. I'm going to tell you a, a second. The second one is unanswered prayer. Come on, someone say amen. Have you ever prayed for something so much? Man, I, I mean, again, I, could, I don't know why I'm not rich with all these books I could re, re, write. I could write a book on unanswered prayer. Praying and praying. Look, look, at the, look at the ridiculousness of God, guys. Look at this. I'm in constant pain. I pray for people and they get healed and I don't. I know it's funny, but we can laugh. I can do permission. It's okay. It's all right. It just shows you that it has nothing to do with me. But yet I'm praying for people, and I'm pleading for people, and I'm pleading for myself. Many days I'm pleading for myself. Nothing happens to me. I pray for my brother Dave. He gets healed from his knee and his hand. Don't you think the enemy at that time says, what about you? What about you? Right? And if you're not careful, you will allow that seed to grow into bitterness. Towards God and to people. Unanswered prayer. I need the worship team to come up there, please. Are you feeling the Holy Spirit today? Look at the third tool. Say the third tool. The third tool that the enemy uses to cripple our faith is fleshly and worldly desires. <laughs> I got more amens on that one. And was like, yep, that was, that was true. That, that, one, that was fleshly and worldly desires. It's hard to have a relationship with God when your flesh and worldly desire are dominating everything about you. But let me tell you, you can start today. There is not, listen, some of you I feel in my heart. You say, Pastor, it's not for me. This message is not for me. I'm too far gone. You're never too far gone. From the, you're never, you're never too far gone. You say, but, but, but I have these desires. I know, so did I. And in one Day, I was telling my friend, in one day after I received the Lord, the next day I didn't have no desires for those things. You say, that's impossible. It's called being born again. 
Well, I don't, I don't know about that, bro. I, don't, I really don't know about that. Trust me. I didn't undesire it on my own. I surrendered to the Lord. I asked for forgiveness. And in a, listen, guys, in a moment, I didn't desire. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was in me now. If you're still desiring those things, the Holy Spirit still could bring you back. All right? Now watch this. Here's where I'm going to close. You don't have to do this now because I'm going to show a video. But then afterwards, Tito, you could do it. Look at the fourth tool that the enemy uses to sift you. Everybody say pain. Everybody say pain. Can anybody relate to this? Who could relate to this? Has pain been a part of your life that has caused Satan to sift you? In other words, your pain was not finances or wasn't maybe the trials in the world today. But your pain was you, I'm sorry, your sifting was you've been through so much emotional and physical pain. That by the time Satan is through with you, you feel like you have no voice anymore. Remember what the farmer said. When I stop hearing the voice, it's been sifted out. The shaking is to sift out your praise, your worship, your admiration to God. And the reason I said Deion Sanders is because pain has a way of slowly grinding at your faith in your ability to keep calling God great. Am I right? Idalia, I know you have a lot of pain, but I've always seen you say God is great and God is good. And I failed that test. This time in my great pain, I'm like, God, you ain't good. You ain't faithful. I'm just thinking about 90% of the people thinking here. I knew it in my mind that he was faithful. I knew it in my mind that he was good, but I didn't feel that he was good. And I'm going to show you a video now. It's going to cheer you up. And it's, uh, it's on Deion uh, Sanders. He is a, a powerful man of God now. He's changed his vocabulary and everything. Well, he had a documentary just uh, recently that he had severe blood clots. Listen to me. Hear me now. Severe blood clots, pain all over his body. Here's this former athlete, and they had to fillet his legs. You're going to see it. It's, it's not graphic as far as uh, blood. It's just graphic as far as the content. So I promise you you're going to be okay, right? And then you're going to see how they amputate, they're not going to show it, but amputate his big toe and his little toe to stop uh, the gangrene type of thing for the blood clot. And I want you to see, this, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talk, I was in tears the other day. While he was in pain in the hospital room, how he was saying, God is so great. God is so great. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm weeping when I'm seeing this because I'm like, I have failed that test. I have failed to call God great in my pain. Can you still say God is great in your physical and emotional pain? Because that's part of the sifting process. I want you to look at this video. And, and did, you see, did you see that through his horrific pain that he said, God has a plan. And he's closing his eyes saying, God is great through his pain. His legs are filleted. His toes are chopped off. He's saying, God is good. God is faithful. He said, I can't even put my underwears on. He, but listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what he said. He said, the devil attacked my mobility, my ability, because my voice carries. This is the perspective. He just had his toes chopped off. And instead of complaining, he's saying, 
He may attack my ability, mobility, but he can't attack my ability because my voice carries. My voice changes things. I fought through it. I prayed through it. And God has had my back through it all. And I'm thankful. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.